In this episode, we discuss some false and harmful conspiracy theories. While no one involved in the production of the podcast subscribes to these views, we want to understand the people who do. But let us be clear, we do not endorse the views discussed. So I'm thinking uh, we might just warm up a little bit. We'll have a, uh, a quick game of uh, True God Gammon. <laughs> What's that? Uh, it's a game that I just made up. I'm all for it. My name's Jordan. Recently turned 24 a couple of days ago, which is which is cool. My mum's Gundi Jamara, so Port and Wannable area. Known as a fighting tribe. We used to fight the whalers when they came down. University student, almost completed my studies. Looking to maybe do honours, masters, we'll see how we go. Depends where the rabbit hole takes me. So I'll uh, say something to you, and if you think that thing has quite a bit of truth to it, then you'll say, true God. And All right. if you think it's just complete uh, rubbish, then uh, you go gammon. All right, let's do it. All right, this is good because I'm determining where you're at in your algorithm now. All right, All right cool. uh, uh, Bigfoot. Nah, gammon. Gammon, not gammon. Um, Loch Ness Monster. Gammon. Jeffrey Epstein is still alive. Gammon. Um, Pizzagate. That's a long pause there. True gammon. So Tyson, why did you want to talk to me today? What's this about? Uh, well, look, I've, I've been, uh, last couple of months, just through the looking glass. What do you mean? Ellie, like, I've just been, it's, 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 I don't know, um, I, I've been meta-radicalized. I've been, <laughs> I've spent so much time examining other people's uh, algorithmic rabbit holes online of disinformation that I've, I'm kind of like... Uh, I don't know. I'm practically rabbit holed myself. I, I'm, I, I, I'm rabbit. I've gone down a rabbit hole that's made out of rabbit holes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, start at the beginning. I don't know what you're talking okay. about. No, right. no. I mean, don't. Yeah, just, just where, where did this yeah. start for you? I'm just what? trying to put the context of my, of my dysfunction there to you, so you can, you can talk me through this. So you started looking at radicalization online. I was. I was looking, like, for example, you know, your the what the YouTube algorithm throws up uh, for people that you know gets them starting out looking at self-help because they're feeling a bit depressed and then they end up going you know did you know the dollar's, dollar's not backed by gold and like you know have you heard about the protocols of the elders of Zion this is this is terrible I gotta do something and then they run into a pizza shop with a with an AK-47 I'm Tyson Yucca-Porter, and this is Disconnect, a podcast about the internet in remote indigenous communities. I've had this story on my mind for a little while now, so I wanted to bring it to my co-host Ellie Rennie to talk it through. People all over the world find themselves falling down these YouTube algorithmic rabbit holes. Like I've been describing to Ellie, you start off on a self-help channel and next thing you know you're a conspiracy theorist. And from what I've seen, it seems like indigenous people can be particularly susceptible to this sort of thing. Because that's one thing you never see is like stories about how indigenous people are getting radicalized by disinformation. Is this a thing? It is a thing. Really? It is a real thing. Not only is it a thing, it's a really big thing and no one's talking about it. Okay. It is, it is horrendously affecting our communities. So is this the typical kind of QAnon type conspiracies? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that kind of thing. There are families breaking up um, over these things. There are kids who won't go home because, you know, 
everyone's arguing about which world leaders are eating children and stuff like that. I spoke to Jordan, who you heard at the top of the episode, because I felt myself getting sucked into this algorithmic rabbit hole, and I know he's had the same experience. As a young Aboriginal man and with a bunch of social barriers and problems in his life, I felt like Jordan was a good person to hear from, and we will a little later. I think our radicalization happens a lot quicker online. Um, yeah. I mean, if you if you track uh, the process by which usually a settler will be radicalized, you know, they'll start out listening to, you know, Stefan Molyneux, and he's talking about his family. You know, he's a nice guy. He's talking in a gentle voice. He's talking about relationships. He's, and then he goes, oh, did you know the dollar's not backed by gold? And then he draws you a few pictures, and then you're like, oh, I'm learning economics here. And, you know, it's all lovely. And then next minute... <laughs> He'll go, it's, um, yeah, then, then all of a sudden it's Bigfoot videos and, I mean, you you threw the rabbit hole. Um, yeah. But I guess, you know, for in, Indigenous people, I mean, where you are, you know, and you're already living all this stuff, you just, like, click on one video that says, hey, Hillary Clinton's eating Haitian kids. And you go, yeah, bro, that's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Just like, you know, the... Radicalization just doesn't need, you know, a lot of hundreds of hours listening. Yeah. Who's got time for that anyway? You know, yeah, do it in one video. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, we don't don't have to be coaxed too far to believe in these things. Kia ora koutou. Uh, My name's Tina Ngata. Huri tene no Ngati Prai, I come from. Uh, the Ngāti Poroi people of the east coast of Te Ika Māwi, whose coloniser name is the North Island. Uh, I do um, environmental work and I also do um, quite a bit of work around uh, colonial racism and environmental racism and trying to address that within our colonial structures. And I write for a few publications, yeah, from time to time. Got to have somewhere to vent. Mm, right. That's it. You gotta yeah. vent. <laughs> gotta vent. Gotta let it out or it gets all toxic. <laughs> and yeah, like you said, before you know it, you're in the rabbit hole. And once you're in the rabbit hole, it's difficult to get out because oh, yeah. you're surrounded by others who are in the rabbit hole who are who are intra and inter affirming. So it's like, don't trust them if they're outside of the rabbit hole. Mm. Everybody else has an agenda or they just don't get it or, you know. So, you know, you you tend to find yourself being reaffirmed and you're not going to come out of the rabbit hole if every time you start to peep your head out, people are standing there calling you dumb, calling you crazy and insulting you. I found Tina via an article she wrote about Maori Maga. The title alone is probably somewhat alarming to most people. She wrote about the way the indigenous people of New Zealand are vulnerable in the post-colonial context, and with no side of domestic politics really having their backs, many were ready to believe an alternative narrative. With the rise of QAnon and, you know, when we saw, well, the rise of the global right, really, and we saw the way in which um, propaganda and misinformation really strongly entered the political streams and then 
entered the political stream during our own Aotearoa or New Zealand um, elections, national elections. That was when um, I think a few, quite a few people were surprised that there were a number of Māori jumping on the QAnon bandwagon and really struggling to figure out, well, how is that? Because, you know, those who understood that QAnon was a white supremacist movement we're really trying to figure out how come there's so many Māori wearing, you know, even wearing similar hats, like Make New Zealand Great Again hats. And and some of them wearing Make America Great Again and, and going on rallies with Trump signs. Um, and those signs were usually accompanied with anti-COVID lockdown signs and um, 5G and 1080 signs. And it was all kind of the same kind of, um, group that was running across all of these themes and it just kind of it provided um, you know a sanctum for them a political sanctum for them to come together and so you saw some real it, it was some strange bedfellows over that period where you saw some really far-right extremists joining political forces with with Māori It's funny how you go in you just, um, you're looking at some 9-11 stuff and then you come across, what was the one for you that got you into uh, starting to look at 9-11? It, it was like a, a five minute video on just sort of explaining the whole 9-11 conspiracy. I, be- yeah. I believe it was James Corbett. Right. Yes. So Corbett Report got you yeah. uh, as well. So you, you kind of progressed. You progressed into that from some other things. Yeah. Oh, and, oh, and Jesse Ventura as well. Oh, Jesse Ventura. He, he, he had yeah. a TV show. Yeah. And then that would be sort of be put out to the masses. Jesse Ventura started off as a WWF wrestler, was in some movies, then made a TV series about conspiracy theories, even spent some time in politics. Uh, were you into professional wrestling when you were younger? Oh, hell yeah. I, okay. You have no idea how many figures I had. Yeah. I, at least over 100. I had... Almost every wrestler, big wrestler at the time, yeah, yeah. was a huge... Like, I've got John Cena in my room, for Christ's sake. Yeah, so, so, but <laughs> as you've grown up, you've progressed into MMA. Uh, MMA, which which means, I mean, well, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, no, I, I mean, know what you mean, I know what you mean. So, yeah. so check it out. There is a progression, because you start out, you, you're into the professional wrestling. Yeah. You're loving Jesse Ventura, and you love how he talks, uh, so you watch his his shows, which uh, we're all about conspiracy theories. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. Me and my dad would watch that quite a bit. Right. Like I remember the uh, th- there's like an air, uh, an airport. Yeah. The one it's escaping me at the moment the name of it, but uh, Denver. Denver Airport. That's it. Yes. And the, and the weird paintings of just these just weird ass paintings of people dying and then yeah. these kids like sick and dying and, and you people with guns just pointing at people. Yeah, yeah. It, it it doesn't make any sense. Like why have that in the airport? It's terrible airport. that I know this, but I, I've got about yeah. I have about forty hours under my belt, just on the um, Denver airport. Mm. What am I doing (laughs) with my life? (laughs) Given the global bias the internet has towards all matters USA, our eyeballs are often drawn towards conversations about the Denver airport, 9-11 and so on. But at the root of why we're pulled into this stuff is our colonial history. You know, throughout all the the invasions and and the genocides that have happened and been covered up, um, 
you know, and, and constantly denied and that are still being denied, you know, um, you know, these are things that have really happened and are still in the living memory of a lot of people. You know, when somebody turns around and says, you know, Bill Gates is uh, doing a genocide on Indigenous Australia through nanobots in, <laughs> in vaccines or whatever, then you don't dismiss it just out of hand. Yeah, so my name is Dean Sanders. I'm a Warramai man from mid-north coast New South Wales. Um, I spend most of my day um, working one of these large sort of corporate consultancies by day. And then by night, I'm a Warramai warrior <laughs> in terms of culture. I'm a psychologist originally, then trained in law for a long time and worked in government um, and across corporates. But now I want to spend most of my time and do spend most of my time bringing my cultural traditions and frameworks to the conversation about how all of those things should change and can change and would benefit from change if you brought Indigenous knowledge systems into play. Misinformation is if you give somebody the wrong directions when they ask you for directions and then you laugh at them. Um, but I guess disinformation is when you give them the wrong directions to send them down a dark alley where your cousin's waiting to beat them up and steal their wallet. You know, when something new comes along, like uh, COVID was a good example, you know, um, elders in communities are looking for what's the story of this virus? Where does it come from and what's its uh, originating story? You know, because you want to get to that foundational narrative and figure out how it fits into uh, creation and into the dreaming. You know, does this thing have a dreaming and what is that? Uh, that's how we that's start. Because, yeah, that's also because, as you know, when we, when we begin to understand the right story for something, then that triggers in a cultural context, all of our appropriate responsibilities. Yeah. You know, what, what's, what's our job in the face of a right story? Um, you know, how does it change our responsibility as senior people or, or, or in community? Whereas if it's a wrong story, we don't know how to deal with it. And wrong stories give rise to wrong action, um, certainly wrong interpretation, which then gives rise to wrong action. And that's where I think we go down this rabbit hole with these types of misinformation, disinformations that then lead to conspiracy. <laughs> and suddenly we find ourselves back in that dark alley. Yeah. Um, well, well, I've seen quite a bit of the wrong story uh, from the alt-right in the United States, um, you know, coming across into community, um, like quite a bit of anti-Semitic stuff and the idea of, you know, these Jewish conspiracy theories, um, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, Jews are running the media and uh, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And that, you know, Jews are destroying the Aboriginal community. Um, I've heard quite a bit of really disturbing stuff uh, um, from that side of things. Um, you know, uh, talking about, you know, new waves of genocide that are coming from these uh, big uh, globalist elite, um, you know, conspirators, these, uh, these global elites, you know, who are pretty much uh, linked to anybody, you know, who's green or left-leaning uh, sort of tends to be thrown into that basket of... Um, it's connecting that with uh, pedophilia as well. So you're seeing a lot of the same kind of stuff that led to the storming of the Capitol um, in, in the United States. You know, a lot of those ideas, are those uh, conspiracies about, you know, uh, pedophile rings, you know, in the government and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, you, you're seeing quite a bit of that starting to come through in, in uh, you know, in Indigenous tweets and, you know, Facebook pages and different groups. You know, well, I think, though, that there's a, I think there is a bit of a unifying theme to some of that sort of perspective, though. And, and I have mm. sympathy for it because it, it, it comes from 
it will actually even comes from our, from our own wrong story. Mm. You know, the wrong story of powerlessness, as I mentioned earlier, the idea that that what 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 all of those stories have in common is that the agent of evil there is somebody other than us and somebody away from us, somebody distant from us. We can't see, we don't know them, we can't control them, we can't even imagine what their environment is, but they're affecting me. You know, they're, they're raining pain on me, they're taking things from me. That's, that, that's actually an essential part of the narrative, mm. that I don't know who these people are, but they're taking things from me. That's really an important part of the narrative because, as you know, if we flip that into an Indigenous context, that's the complete opposite of our world. Mm. where all of our authority is local. All of our connections are direct and relational. Yeah. So our universe was known, wholly known, in the system within which we lived. Even yeah. as vast a landscape as Australia might be, you know, our relationship to our country, our relationship to our people, to our plants, to our brothers and sisters in the plant kingdom, they were, it was deeply relational. So we knew everything and we knew of everything. Mm. Contrast that with the sort of conspiracy stories that emerge where it's all about powerlessness and I can't see these evil people that are affecting me. They're somewhere in the rest of the world over there. Mm. Uh, they've got control of me and I don't know how they've got control of me. So, so the, the, the originating stories of modern Australia are, of course, that powers on the other side of this planet determined in a small, tiny little room <laughs> Um, that this country was empty, um, that there was nobody here that they needed to pay attention to in terms of governance or relationships or obligation, and they could just write off the entire nation and all of its peoples. The decision made on the other side of the world is the original sin that governs and structures most of this sense of powerless amongst our people now. So it's not, you're quite right. Australia is the living example of that distant decision-making um, that has that is that, that models these conspiracies. So I'm not at all surprised that our that that our people fall into these natural conspiracies because, yeah. of course, it was true. It was absolutely true. Tina Ngata wrote in her Maori Mugger article about a guy called Billy TK, a blues musician turned politician. And he's an interesting fellow. He was a not very well-known blues musician, but his father, Billy Takeka Sr., was a very well-known blues musician, and and um, Billy TK, which is what he came to be known as, Junior, um, he kind of had this political awakening during the COVID lockdown and started to do a lot of these um, YouTube clips really theorising on the idea of Agenda 2030 and Agenda 21 um, and and trying to create connections between that and COVID and the lockdown and what's really going on. and The UN agendas. Yeah, so Agenda 21 is really just a, a commitment a multilateral commitment from different governments to work together in pursuit of the sustainable development goals. Mm. And here's the thing. This is one of the things that drives me a little bit nuts. You don't actually have to dig that deep to find real causes for concern, you yeah. know, like oil and gas extraction. Like it is real, you know, state-run pedophile, you know, the theft of our children and state-centred abuse within 
um, within the state care or state theft, child theft system. Like that's real. Yeah, we have the know? actual ones. We have the actual, the actual ones. <laughs> we experience them. But um, yeah. I don't know, maybe it is it escapism or something? Because what we don't have is a narrative with that. We have a narrative of complaint, um, but we don't have good story yet that explains why. You know, I mean, the best we can come up with is settlers are terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we don't have a good narrative for it. So is it is there something attractive about the idea that there's, you know, a really high-level group of Satanists in the world who like to drink babies' blood and, um, you know, that they want to control us and, and kill us all and all that sort of thing? I think, and again, this kind of comes back to a little bit of the complicity of the state in this. The narrative is colonization. Mm. Like, so the way in which, you know, sexual assault of our people and the deep trauma that that visits upon people and and the way in which that functions to have you not believe in yourself, not believe in your people, the deep, the multi-generational harm that's created out of sexual out of sexual trauma where the victims become the perpetrators. So you mm. can really easily just sit back and watch a community dissemble itself from, you know, just one generation of sexual trauma and interference. Mm. Um, and then within two to three generations, it's starting to dissemble itself because it's perpetuating the problem itself. And so that's not new, you know, you know, they, these were some of the first acts that Columbus were doing. James Cook was, mm. you know, Mm. doing it on 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 his travels and so um the use of and essentially colonization is an act of war mm. right it's a it's a violent act of war mm. that plays out over multiple generations oh, look, with the theft of children you know and yeah. all the boys homes and and, and stuff yes. like that with you know that that stuff was going on yes. there were really and, and high the level pedophile rings yeah going on and there were brochures. I don't know if you had the brochures here, but there were brochures on how to, you know, catch and train a sex slave back in the early days of colonization. Yeah. You know, like exactly yeah. and, how, like you know, how to tie the knots and, you know, the entire thing. You know, <laughs> it was pretty organized and out in the open. <laughs> it's, um, yeah. you know, and, and then, but basically we get this denialism going on about it. Like, you know, stop whinging. It wasn't that bad. Don't use the word genocide. That was like, uh, that's really you know, inappropriate and you're exaggerating things a bit and we keep getting told that story is not true, but we're trying to deal with the trauma as well. And then we get this beautiful live action role play from the States, you know, and we get to LARP through our trauma, I guess, in a way by, um, you know, joining in this sort of, you know, global thing and, and putting putting on funny and hats. And the, exactly. This is the thing is that, you know, we're constantly gaslighted. Indigenous peoples are constantly gaslighted about our reality. Mm. We're, you know, we live under this, well, the, the overbearing gaslight that our governments are legitimate when they've been set up through war crimes. You know, the setting up of the invasion of our countries and the setting of these governments carried out today would, would be something that would, well, you'd wind up like Saddam Hussein being tried in The Hague and then sentenced to death and it would be a war crime. Mm. But because of you know and, and this is when you start to come back to why misinformation and conspiracy theories like agenda 2030 find so much purchase is that united nations is a collection of colonial governments who have you know exercised that or that 
privilege and those relationships within the Security Council to maintain a system of colonial privilege on a global scale. And we have had issues with the rollout of, you know, Agenda 2030 and and some of the sustainable development goals that have really relied upon, for instance, you know, the electrification of vehicles that push a lot of the burdens down into the global south and, you know, for and green privilege as well for the global north. The fact that, you know, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, these these institutions have been set up through systems, through colonial systems of extraction out of Indigenous territories. And these systems are still in play today that create these channels of wealth and privilege. And we are constantly being gaslit. One of the things I do love about the sort of conspiracy alignment is, as I say, there's enough, if you squint sideways, you can sort of see a bit of truth. That you know, authority is, of course, Indigenous cultural authority is wholly local, like entirely local, like within you and the five and ten people, the members of your family, and then and then as it ex- expands into that into your clan groups and and um, nation groups and skin groups, and so authority authority, but authority ultimately is very local. It's in the landscape within which you live. Mm. You know, my people are the Warringal people of the Warramai Nation, so they're people of the streams. So literally, my my community was were were, were freshwater people in a saltwater country. Um, in the river systems around Gloucester in New South Wales. Now, that's that, that, there's a big river there, but it's just a river and, and it's, a, it's 10 kilometres of, of area. The, that, that 10 kilometre area of land governed our entire life and existence. Mm. Yeah, all the knowledge and law emerges from that land. And, of course, our shared experience and songline stories across the rest of the community, but it's very local. Um, and the concept, the context and the consequences are local. So you know that if something goes wrong, um, if lawmakers and elders want to exert authority because somebody did something wrong, then they feel the consequence of that deeply because they are local themselves. Mm. So both the hurt and the consequence are felt locally, and so is the punishment felt locally. So contrast that with the nature of government in Australia or the US, where the consequence of decisions made in Canberra are not felt in Canberra at all <laughs> and often made in the complete absence of context of community but have affecting community. That's, so that's where this stuff germinates. That's where that's this the stuff difference, too, between power and authority. You know, state power is a very different thing from, um, you know, Aboriginal community and authority uh, grounded in landscapes, you know, of meaning. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's a very different thing altogether. Well, I think I think you know the way it might be summarised is that in our cultural context, power cannot be exercised without authority, um, mm. and that authority comes from culture. It comes from the law. Um, what power that is exercised without authority is just violence. Mm. Um, and and so you could argue certainly, if you use that argument, mm. that all the enactment of governmental power is simply violence. Yeah. Um, because it it is it is absent of authority. At this point, it might even feel like I've gone down a rabbit hole myself while exploring why so many of my people are going down them. But to me, this is the story. It's about power and frustration, powerlessness and disenfranchisement, the things that make people look elsewhere for reassurance or answers. The ones who are actually in the driving seat around the misinformation 
um, campaigns are privileged white people. They're not the downtrodden. Um, but they do also understand how social discord plays out in favour of the dominant groups in society. And so if you do get to a point where you burn things down, at that point, who are the ones that are most likely to be arrested? Who are the ones that are most likely to be brutalised? Who are the ones that are most likely to be shot? It's not it's not the white folks who who are you know behind this the puppeteers who are you know creating a lot of this and and then putting it out through their eight um, chan and and four chan and eight con channels um, and you know low key spreading it also through political speeches and through publications as well and um, they have their um, public figures as well who they get to to propagate a lot of this misinformation. But those groups, they understand really well, and it's, again, also not a new colonial practice that they that you enlist people, the downtrodden, or you, would, you enlist marginalised groups to do your work for you. And you take advantage and you exploit, you know, the weaknesses that even your own people have been responsible for building in because they have no conscience. You know, so they're quite happy to exploit that and understand that we will be in the firing line of that. And they've quoted it. You know, they've said as much. Steve Bannon has said as much. Donald Trump, Donald Trump has said as much that, you know, you burn everything down and and it's going to be white supremacists who will come out on top again, who will be the first to be able to politically mobilize to fill the vacuums of power that are created through a revolution. And of course, not everyone who becomes victim to the YouTube algorithm is unsophisticated or particularly vulnerable. It happened to me, and it happened to Jordan. I think we just have more distractions, and that allows us to obtain more information, and that, whether that information is true or not. And it's just easy to just go down rabbit holes. And like I said before, people don't want to actually sift and go through the work to actually be able to understand what they think. Yeah. And, 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 and it's scary to do that. To actually take a step back and even just evaluate yourself that's that's scary to do and i think a lot of people during the the, the pandemic when we were in lockdown for like three or four months people you know there's nothing to do and people just want to distract themselves so and it's easy and but to actually be able to sit down and, and objectively know yourself sit down with yourself what you think what you believe who you are that's a scary thing people don't want to sit back through their childhood because they might have like repressed memories and all that sort of stuff to understand what uh, modes of thinking that you've developed through your childhood and what behaviours you've developed as a childhood. It, it's scary to do. Like, I, I'm afraid to do that. I, I try to, but it's scary. So, yeah, I think there's just a lot of, there's just too many distractions today and, and our attention span is just gone. It's just dwindled. So, I know that you started by saying that we're always looking for resolutions or a way to kind of provide deeper insight into these things that are going on in the world. Mm. I mean, it is how, how is there a way that you can kind of step back from this or make yourself more um, attuned to it or put up your defences or steer the family member who's going in that direction away from it? Not even. The only recommendation I can have is just watch this space. Um, and I think, I mean, I would implore that there be some attention directed towards the 
indigenous disinformation space. Because what's interesting is there seems to be a tighter generative cycle because there's less induction and radicalization time needed. There are tighter and tighter cycles. And so we're, we're actually, like for the first time, even though it's late adoption, um, I think that the evolutionary cycle of this thing uh, could provide a predictive model for what's going to happen to everybody else. So, you know, <laughs> when we see where the indigenous community takes this, we'll probably see where everyone else is going to end up within the next five years. So I would say in the next 12 months, watch this space really closely and um, adjust your um, predictive models and policy accordingly. All right. Yeah. Thank but you. But you see what I've done there? I've just made a prophecy, Ellie, which is how I think now because I've been down this rabbit hole. It's all prophecies <laughs> from nothing. Did I give you any data there? You believed me too, Ellie. But isn't this the You believe thing? me, I've taken you down the rabbit hole. You so, see these tricks? You see what I'm doing to you here? You can't change the rhythm of my soul. Oh, oh, oh. You can't tell me do what to do. That song was We Have Survived by Dobby from the album Deadly Hearts 2. We'd like to thank the elders of the regions we travelled to in the creation of this podcast and during the research that underpins it. Telstra is funding the project. Disconnect is produced by RMIT University, led by me, Ellie Rennie, Tyson Yunkaporta, James Milsom and Campbell McNulty. 